0: Welcome to Episode 9 of Software East Human, Film at 11. I'm joined today by Mandy Moore.
1: Coraline, how many times do I need to tell you that our podcast is called Greater Than Code? It's hard to or remember. Was... I know, I know. It's okay. I'll give you a pass. Hello from rainy and foggy Pennsylvania. Astrid, how are you doing today?
2: I'm doing great, Mandy. And today we have a guest with us named Travis B. Hartwell, who's a self-styled software toolsmith, currently a contractor for Basho Technologies on the professional services team. He's been a jack of all trades in areas as diverse as game development, defense contracting, and Linux distribution development. He's an avid Emacs and NixOS user and reluctantly calls Python his home, though he wishes to spend more time with Rust and Haskell. He's disabled and chronically ill and has been on dialysis since 2013 and is losing his vision to retinitis pigmentosa. Outside of tech, he's always seems to be caught up in the latest TV show or movie and is an avid Whovian and Star Wars fan. Hi, Travis. Welcome to the podcast.
3: Thank
0: you, Aspen. Uh, it's nice to be here. Travis, we'd like to start every episode by getting to know our guests a little bit better before we really dive into the details of the conversation that we want to have. So what is your superhero origin story?
3: Okay, that's a good place to start. Unfortunately, it's nothing exciting. Like I wasn't bit by a spider or anything, but...
0: Never? uh, Seriously?
3: Well, maybe, but that's (laughs) not what started at all. (laughs) But what did start, I guess, different from some of the other episodes were... Not focusing so much on my tech story, but my personal story. I was born six weeks early, and it was discovered when I was a baby, and actually, it wasn't discovered until I was six weeks old that I had a blockage in my bladder. And ended up having to have a catheter put in at that time. And because of that, I ended up having some damage to my bladder and also to my kidneys. But that wasn't discovered until I was almost 30, the kidney damage. And I was diagnosed when I was 30 with kidney disease, which from that followed a transplant in 2009. And then unfortunately, in 2013, I had to go uh, back on dialysis, which I've been on dialysis since. And I do, uh, five nights a week from home. And additionally, I also have achondroplasia, a form of dwarfism. So that kind of informed my life. I grew up in rural Idaho. And I think if I hadn't had that, I would have kind of followed in the footsteps of my father, like my older brother did, and been like a truck driver or something. So it kind of informed my love of tech. When I was in fourth grade, my uncle gave me this book about programming and basic. And that just caught my attention. Oh, this is how you make the games that I play on the computer in my classroom and stuff like that. And I I found a home and I've been in tech ever since and been the one that everybody's gone to for help. And so in college, I was introduced to open source and been involved with open source work since then. um, I worked at Canonical for a while.
0: You talked about being inspired or being interested in learning basic because that was how the games that you played were made. Did you start out making games?
3: Uh, just simple things. Yeah. You know, like way to impress my friends in class, you know, like, Hey, look, I made this game, you know, that asks for your name and you can play a guessing game and whatever, you know, uh, that sort of thing. And, but a lot of it was, well, well, let's just see how to set up this or how these menus things are run or, or how to disassemble this and things like that. So that was back on an Apple too. When I got into junior high, I got to use PCs, and so I got to learn about DOS and then using debug.com to change like command column and things like that and really understand how things work. And, and You know, it's funny, I never really did a lot of game development. That's just kind of what got my interest of, oh, this is how this works. Then I ended up my first job out of college was game development, so this kind of happened.
2: So, Travis, you said that you grew up in rural Idaho, right? Yes. Did you ever have any other people around you who were also doing tech like you were?
3: No, not really. By the time I was in high school, I was the one in my community that knew the most about computers, even more than my teachers. And, you know, I'm of the age I didn't have the access to the Internet until I was a junior in high school. And I was like the first one in my community to do so. And so I learned everything from books and magazines and things like that. So I did not have any mentors or anything around me to help me with that. I just happened to you know, like I said, originally get that book from my uncle that he found and just teach myself.
0: Are you completely yeah. self taught or did you go to college for computer I, I science? Did.
3: Yeah, I went to university. I went to Utah State University, uh, studying computer science. So um and I did, you know, graduate with that degree. Took me a, a little while. But it was interesting, you know, I am self taught and it was just such a divergence going into that from like the community and the family I grew up in and i think honestly and you know our i guess my purpose for being here too my disability is what informed that because i didn't have the same options necessarily that others did you know like my grandparents were farmers and ranchers my brother spent a lot of time out with my grandparents and my dad out on the farm i couldn't and so i found something else to spend my time with
0: it's really great that you found an outlet for your creativity and your intellectual curiosity
3: Yeah, no, and and I'm glad I did. And and though I admit I'm I'm jealous of those who grew up now who have like the internet and so forth to see the world more than I did when I was a young teenager because it was limited. You know, it was like okay, next time we go into I always said go into town. Then the nearest city was an hour away, and to go to the bookstore to buy something or buy the next latest magazine or whatever computer magazine or something so I can learn more. No, it, it was it was like limited. And so I, I was really hungry at that time, I think, to learn something and to be beyond the limitations, I felt.
2: Does this mean that you didn't really have a community until you went to college? Yeah. No, I think that
3: is a pretty fair statement. And then um, you said
2: you were introduced to open source. So how did that change how you thought about what you were doing? Because it sounds like you were kind of creating in a vacuum because there wasn't really other people you could share it with. And then you go to school and then you mentioned being introduced to open source technology, so how did that change how you saw software development?
3: I, I think there, it truly did inform who I was because, you know, as I as I learned more about computers, I got fascinated with like the C language and Unix and things like that. Which of course, then I, I learned about oh wait, there's this Linux thing you can install on computers. And then yeah, with my sophomore year of college, as I learned more about it, there was a group formed at my university, a new uh, Linux and free software club being formed, and I got involved. And was ended up being one of the founding members, and you know, with friends and classmates. And, hey, you know, it's not just because it's just cool tech. There's a reason behind it. And that, you know, I came to understand the ideals of free software and understood how it connected me also with other people. Like, because of that, I've been on IRC every day since, you know, like 97. No, no, wait. No, 98. Because... That was where my community was. And it's like finally I had people to talk to that understood the things that I understood and liked the things I liked. And it kind of opened up the world for me.
1: That is really great. That's like where I am at right now because I've been in a place my whole life where I've been really into the technology field and I've had nobody to talk with about it. And now it's just so great when you have all these Slack channels and IRC channels and Twitter and all that, that I'm finally finding my people. And I just know how special and how awesome that really, really is.
3: Yeah. And in a lot of ways, it's a lifesaver because, you know, I live back in Idaho now, not luckily, not in the more rural area that I grew up in, but it was, you know, I'm in a city, I'm in Ottawa Falls and but I'm still not really connected to any sort of tech community here or any community outside of like my neighborhood and, and church and family. And so I live for like the Slack channel. I'm in mean, IRC for Twitter, just like you said, Mandy. And it's it's amazing.
1: Yeah, I'm the same. I live in rural Pennsylvania, so I'm in the same boat here. I mean, I'm a, I'm a train ride away from Philly. But, you know, as a single mom, it's kind of difficult to kind of hit up those tech hubs without babysitters. So it's really awesome to have that kind of community.
0: So Travis, uh, many of us do not work with disabled people or chronically ill people in our day jobs. Do you find that you're sort of held up as an example of what it's like to be a person with those sorts of problems and you find yourself having to kind of explain yourself over and over again? Yeah, I think I definitely
3: do get that in. Like I mentioned, I've been on dialysis since 2013, and there was actually a period of about four years where I didn't work because of my kidney disease and how it affected me. And so I, I've just been back to work for the past year, and most of my interactions with colleagues and so forth started out, on, honestly, explaining, hey, well, this is where I am because I only work part-time at the moment, and having to explain why you know my hours are limited or so forth or why I'm not always available. And sometimes, you know, it's easier to explain things like using analogies and stuff because I do explain, like you said, explain it over and over. And and one thing that I've liked online and I think a lot of chronically ill people like myself use is uh, there's this thing called the Spoon Theory. It's from a website called But You Don't Look Sick. And I'm not sure how to pronounce her last name, but it's Christine Miserandino, I think is how you pronounce her name. So her spoon theory thing is the author is a woman who has lupus, uh, another uh, you know, illness that really affects people. She was trying to explain to her friend how it affects her life. And they were out to eat. And so I think that's why she used spoons. She grabbed a bunch of spoons and said, I mean, imagine this is like your capacity or like your energy for the day. And given what you have to do in a day, each thing takes a spoon. So it's like kind of maybe for those of you who play role-playing games or something like that, like your energy count or whatever. You know, depending on how you're feeling, some things may take additional spoons or whatever. Most people who aren't ill, it's pretty easy for them to do their normal 9 to 5 schedule or whatever. Um, Like I mentioned, I do dialysis. And I do it at night, hook up before I go to bed and unhook You know, in the morning when I wake up, sometimes my dialysis session doesn't go very good and it wakes me up in the middle of the night and so forth. And so my day starts with me being exhausted because of that. And using the spoon theory, that means I have less spoons to work from. But also, because of the dialysis, I have more things I have to do. I always try to explain to people, like, you know, on your average day, you do things like you bathe, you do your grooming, you eat, you exercise, what, what are all these things that, you know, a normal person does to take care of themselves. Well, in addition to all that, I have my medication, I think. I have to set up and take down my dialysis machine and clean up that. And I have to take care of my dialysis catheter. I have to do all of these things in addition to what quote-unquote healthy people or normal people use. And it kind of limits the amount of energy I have. And then if I've had a bad night, you know, by the time I get into work and work for an hour, I'm, I'm exhausted. And so I have to explain to my coworkers that, hey, you know, I just don't have the energy to do this specific thing at this time. And luckily, you know, uh, I'm in a company at the moment that's very uh, understanding and and I can explain it. But I've had to explain it to like pretty much every coworker. Hey, I don't have the energy because of this or whatever. and
1: Yeah. So it's it's typical for you to wake up every day and start off with less spoons than a typical healthy person would have.
3: Yeah, exactly. And, you know, if you're if you wake up late, you could probably afford to you know skip taking a shower or, or do whatever you have to rush to do to get to work there's certain things that I can't skip taking care of my dialysis stuff because it's what's keeping me alive you know mm-hmm. and so I already have things that my energy has to be devoted to you know or I won't stay alive you know I, or I just don't Flat have the energy to do certain things, you know, and or people with different illnesses have different things like uh the author of this post that I referenced. She has lupus and so she's talking about days where her hands are in a lot of pain. And so it's hard for her even like button a shirt or something like that. And so that that affects even how she gets dressed. And I, I think, you know, most people don't even think about well, if you haven't had trouble doing that, how can you like, you know, maybe type to do your work or whatever, you know, and so it's have to be able to be aware of the, the other limitations that other people sometimes have in this.
0: So is it kind of a day by day thing where some days you're going to have more energy than others and how understanding are your coworkers about that sort of thing?
3: Yeah, it is definitely a day-by-day thing, and I've been extremely lucky. I actually work with one of my old college classmates, and I went into this current job being completely open from the start, like, hey, here's my situation. I'm on dialysis. I've got this. Some days are not very good, and so some days I just have to get up and say, hey, I'm not doing so great I need to lay back down I will check in at this so you know it's good you know I'm accountable for you know my my work and I can tell them when I can do it but also I'm in a position where it's not like I have you know I'm I'm man you know managing something that has to be done you know like make sure the website doesn't go down or something like that you know I it's in a position that you know when it gets done it gets done and so they're really understanding
2: so it sounds like what you're describing doesn't just affect people who might have something like what you have to do, like with dialysis, but it could be anybody who has a chronic condition. And it sounds like there's just not enough knowledge that this type of chronic condition can wear so much on people. So what do you think that people should know about you know, other work colleagues that might have this going on? Because you may not know, they may not be as open as you were until all their colleagues, that they have something going on? What do you think could be a way that people could be a little more empathetic to some other colleague that might be going through something like this?
3: I think, and I think this is a thing I've heard come up in other episodes as well of the podcast is empathy towards others is very important. And, you know, and then it's not just physical illness I want to bring up too. Um, You know, I also have my own challenges with uh, mental illness that I deal with, and I know that other people deal with those sorts of things too. You know, I I think we have a tendency as a culture to, you know, if someone doesn't get something done or doesn't show up, you kind of think, oh, well, you know, they're quote unquote lazy or whatever. And I think we need to step back and maybe not jump to such judging conclusions about people, and just let them know, hey, you know, if there's something going on, you know, I want to be supportive and understanding because you know I do realize that some I'm completely open about my at least my physical challenges. It's a little harder to be open about like mental health issues sometimes. But I don't know, because I, I know there are people that aren't as open and maybe deal with stigma and shame and so forth. And I think as colleagues and especially those who are in position of like, say your management, and that's where I've been lucky, especially in my current job with my manager, they understand. And actually a few months ago, I had my manager reach out to me. and Hey, I'm realizing, you know, you've had some struggles with how you've been feeling and and other things, do you need some time off? And basically asked me to take some time off. And so I think being able to be perceptive of, he didn't know exactly what was going on with me. But he's like, hey, do you need this?
0: Travis, I first learned about um, spin theory um, in the tech activist community. Um, it's something that's talked about quite a bit in terms of having the energy to deal with people who are questioning your work or questioning your motives or just the work of trying to make things better for people. And it's often talked about in terms of burnout in activist communities, but this is an appropriation of a metaphor for people who are chronically ill. Do you have opinions about how appropriate it is that that has been applied to this different set of circumstances?
3: That's a good question because yeah, it definitely did arise out of those who are dealing with physical illness, and then, you know, there are a legitimate, and especially as someone who experiences both the uh, mental illnesses, I've struggled with depression and anxiety versus the physical, and actually, the struggle that I have is I, I sometimes can't tell with what I'm experiencing right away I don't have the cognition to say okay is this because of my kidney disease or is this because I'm depressed or whatever and so I understand that but yeah I do sometimes see people in the communities you know because I I try to be in the like the activist community as well um, as you mentioned Coraline and I do see people use the word and maybe this is me trying to do the empathy like we just talked about like I don't know what they're dealing with, but it does feel like, hey, do you really experience the same things I do? Because like, there's really like a limit of hard limit of I can't do this. It's not just okay, I'm just really annoyed at such and such. And I can't deal with that right now. They're, you know, it's a different feeling to me, mm. if that makes sense. And so I think sometimes we need to be very careful that we don't put ourselves in the same position, you know, similar to as I understand that, you know, I've received some discrimination in my life, you know, uh, I, in some ways. And like I said, I have dwarfism. I'm only uh, four foot six. I think that's 1.3 meters or something like that. You know, so immediately when people see me, they know my differences, at least really some of them. But I don't claim to experience the same thing, say, Someone who is black or something that, you know, I I, I try to be careful not to appropriate the same struggles that they have, you know. And so sometimes it does feel the same way. You know what I mean?
0: Definitely. I'm really glad that you shared that because I have myself talked about, you know, not having spoons to deal with situation X. And the last thing I'd want to do is appropriate um, a metaphor that's more appropriately used in a different community.
1: So before we get to our next segment, we're going to take some time to thank another one of our $10 level patrons, Francisco Jose from Barcelona. Francisco is a programmer and an amateur ukuleleist. You can find him at nflamel on Twitter. Thank you, Francisco. And thank you to all of our awesome contributors. If you'd like to support us, please do so at patreon.com slash greater than code. And that link will be in the show notes.
0: Awesome. So Travis,
2: are you noticing that your disabilities are misrepresenting you in some ways? This was a question asked by one of our previous guests, uh, James Gray, and he mentioned, for example, that it gets harder and harder for him to tweet as typing gets harder, and that sometimes things like voice recognition software doesn't actually work as well as it should. So have you noticed anything like that for yourself?
3: I kind of have a couple of answers to that. First of all, like we talked about before, I think sometimes I have this worry that as I, you know, may have to take time or whatever off because of, you know, like my lack of spoons to use the metaphor. I, I'm like, do I appear less competent? Do I appear less capable because I'm not getting things done as quickly or 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 whatever? So yeah, I do worry about that. James brings up a great point about for those of us that have to use Various assistive technologies, he mentions the voice recognition and so forth because he he has trouble typing. I, I'm lucky at the moment I don't have to use, as mentioned in my bio, I, I'm losing my vision. Um, I've just lost a lot of my peripheral vision, but I I'm not enough that it's affecting my computer use other than that I have to have maybe just a little bit larger fonts. So like my day-to-day work isn't affected, but I do recognize there will be a point where it will be hard for me to interact with certain things if it's as it becomes harder to see, or at least hard to interact in the way that I have. And so I will be slower about doing some things. And so I'm sure some people will interpret it differently. And so I I I do worry how people will perceive it. And but I also see if how like even an example, I I remember I was using a particular I think it was a blogging service or something I used. This is like five, six plus years ago. And just the way they designed their web page, that if I increased the fonts a little bit so I could see it, the page was unusable just in their web design and made it so I had a hard time using their service. And this was me just using the web normally. This is not using like, you know, a screen reader or anything like that. And I'm like, how much as we as developers think about these sorts of things when we're designing, like how accessible they are if you increase the font size or use a screen reader or... Or, or whatever and how that limits you know otherwise capable people of interacting with the world um,
2: do you find that
3: that happens
2: often that you'll be trying to use a product or a service and it's just outside of a certain bounds it's just not useful for you even though you're not doing that much to change it
3: definitely um, you know I mentioned like that blogging service and another great one is there's you know a lot of virtual reality stuff going on right now and I recently got uh Google has released their daydream view there I think it's uh, headset that goes with their Pixel phone. And I I got one free because I pre-ordered a Pixel phone. And so I was excited to try it out, but I can't really use it. Um, My vision, uh, you know, I use glasses, but it's not corrected to 2020 because I have cataracts as well. And I just could not see well enough for it to be a pleasant experience at all. When what I can tell is otherwise great tech, I can't use it. And so I'm like, completely left out from this experience and even i think higher dollar of vr will not be any better for me so it's like here's this entire realm of tech that i'm left out of
0: and there's really no excuse for companies the size of google to not consider people who are outside of the parameters of the average healthy person or the average white person for that matter, there were some issues around their, their recognition, their image processing software as it pertained to people of color. So these, if these big companies can't even get it right, what chance do smaller companies who don't have the kind of budget of a Google or a Microsoft, what chance do they have to ensure that things are accessible and usable?
3: You know, that's completely true because you know, I looked and I'm like, OK, is there any settings I can change to change like the average view distance or something like that to make it a little bit more accessible to me? And like you you uh, bring up, you know, a great example of like the image recognition, you know, it's like, do are we in allowing ourselves to be informed by others around us. I think this brings up why we need to have people from diverse backgrounds working for us in our communities, in our circles, so we can bring up, hey, this thing is an issue. You know, there's some things that, you know, if I did not have friends that were completely blind, but do rely upon screen readers, you know, I wouldn't be aware of some of these issues. And it's gotten to a point that, You know, I remember, like, for example, people do on Twitter a lot where they want to post something longer or share something from an article, they'll do a screenshot of it, which is great. But for those who are blind and rely on screen readers, that's leaving this content out. And so luckily, Twitter has added, you can add uh photo descriptions. And so when I want to do something like that, when I want to share something that won't fit in the 140 characters, I'll screenshot it, but then I'll copy and paste the text into the photo description because it actually doesn't have a, a character limit or at least not 140 characters. And so those with screen readers of my friends can actually still partake in my content and see the, what I was wanting to share with. And, and I think if you don't think about those things, it will be easy to leave that feature out or make it hard to find or, or whatever.
2: So if you are building some sort of software or some products, what is a good way to get started thinking about how different types of people are going to interface with your work?
3: First of all, I think you need to have a question of just look at who you have on your team or who you're developing. it. Do they all look like me? Do they all think like me? If they do, you're probably not getting the perspective that you need. And then I know there are resources out there. Obviously, you may not have a person with every, who needs every kind of assistive technology or whatever on your team. But there's resources out there to help you do that. I, I do remember reading an article recently of a, a young woman who did an internship at Apple while she was, I think she was working on a CS degree or something. And, and she's blind and she got to go work on assistive technologies, I think in iOS actually. And now she is working for Apple full time, if I remember right. And, you know, I'm I'm glad that a company like Apple reached out to her and included her. And I think we can do that, too. And there are plenty of groups out there that I think are more than willing to serve as resources for you to especially hire, even if not full time. Because I think it's like Coraline was talking about. It's not just like the accessibility. It is You know, are we sensitive to the needs that everybody has? You know, like your example of like with people of color, you know, are we including them? Or, you know, there was, I think, the example of when Apple released their health kit stuff for iOS, it didn't include feature. If I remember right, they didn't include features to help for women to track menstruation, which it seems to be Mm -hmm. huge to leave out of that sort of thing. You know, and it's like, okay, did you just not talk to women? Do you not have women on your team doing this, you know?
2: I remember that being um, a big criticism because it it seemed like it ignored half the population when it comes to a health statistic.
3: Right. And then weren't there problems like initially with the Apple Watch also that with people of color that it wasn't able to detect things because of the darker skin? So that's another thing. There are, back to accessibility itself, I know there are services and i this is something I haven't yet experienced myself, but I know there are services out there where you can like run tests on how does it look at different screen sizes and so forth and font sizes. And are, are you trying those things, you know, and, and even to the effect of not just people with disabilities, but... People on slow internet connections or smaller devices, you know, because we know people in that aren't on, you know, the fanciest top-of-the-line MacBook, you know, with gigabit ethernet, you know, they can't access things just the same. Do we think about those sorts of issues?
2: Mm -hmm. I'm really interested in how some people can start changing how they make things because I feel like everybody has this same problem. They're always saying it's not made really for me.
3: yeah. I admit I wish I knew better on that. And Ironically, part of the reason why I don't know more about it is really this problem of the spoons that we talk about.
2: Mm -hmm.
3: I'm just staying alive, you know? (laughs) And it's like, outside of what I've got to do with my day job and staying alive, I don't have much energy for much else. It's just
2: interesting to me how many people can feel left out of a product and the product is still seen as successful, I guess because it's making a certain amount of income that they expect. But it seems like um, from the business perspective of wanting to make as much money as possible, the more inclusive you are, the more likely you'll you'll do that. And that doesn't seem to be the goal.
3: And it's not just like disabilities. It's everything.
2: It's you know? everything.
3: You know, it's Twitter not really taking serious harassment, those sorts of issues. It's like, are, are we making things a safe and welcoming place? And not only that, it's like, is it even usable? Like, it's inaccessible to people whose condition is slightly worse than mine. You know, I I can see myself within four or five years not being able to use some of these services.
2: You know, there's a lot of talk about this, not only in terms of somebody who has a particular disability, but also just in expanding the Internet to different parts of the world where people haven't had, you know, fast Internet service. And then how are they going to use the services that exist and There just seems to be no thought put in place of how does somebody use Twitter who's not in a Western country? How are they going to use it that's different? They don't seem to be researching that or thinking about that or trying to understand the implications of that.
0: Mm -hmm. So, Travis, we had some great questions from the patrons who are in our Slack. And I should mention that if you want to get in on the Slack community, that you can donate as little or as much as you want to on our Patreon. We had a question from Ryder Timberlake who said he has a Buddhist friend with Marfan syndrome who's told him that the knowledge that he could die at any time has been tremendously beneficial to his practice. And um, writers, wondering if you have any thoughts on how your disability and health challenges have positively impacted your life.
3: You know, if it weren't for my disability, I honestly believe I would not have the career I have today because I, I probably would have just followed in the same vein of everyone in my family and community and then the farmer or truck driver or whatever. And not that there's anything wrong with that. I see my, my brother and dad get joy out of their careers, but I would have not have seen the world in the same way. Realizing my own situation has helped me gain empathy with others, I think, because I realize not everyone understands me. And so I'm like, well, what don't I understand about others? You know, because other than my disability, I'm a white, straight, cisgendered man from America, about as privileged as you can get. But I think my disability has helped me to realize hey, there are people with differences. And so I've been able to open up and learn from and become great friends with people who are completely different from me, and all, you know, whether they be uh, of a different race or from somewhere else or transgender or whatever it may be. And so I think that's the biggest thing it's given me is just a perspective of openness to the world because of I've always felt different. And so I I felt open to those with differences different to me as well.
1: We have another question from Craig Buchek. He said it's hard to imagine how he'd cope with all that, that being having a disability such as your own. He wants to know about the coping mechanisms that you use to just deal with it all. Is there anything specific that you do on a day-to-day basis or even every now and then to just make life easier on yourself?
3: That's a very good question. And, And actually, in Slack, he also mentioned like he defined himself by his work. And that was a huge issue for me too because also right around the time that I stopped working because of my kidney disease I also got divorced and I had at that time you know if I was to describe myself at that time it would be like I'm married I I have a puppy I'm a computer programmer you know I I was defining myself by all these things and all of a sudden in the process of about a year I lost all of those things you know and I'm not gonna lie it was hard and it's still hard Because I saw myself, I'm like, what? What is my identity anymore? Because you know, I did not work for a a large amount of time, and really, my coping mechanism. uh, What can I say? I've taken up meditation, and that's something I do. Kind of actually related to my answer to the last question. The hugest thing has helped me is by learning about other people. Twitter has been a lifeline to me these last few years, and as I have learned about people so different from my experiences i've seen the world in a different way i've gained empathy for a greater thing i've become part of communities that have been some of my uh, closest friends are and so by being able to reach out and have part of those communities that may not maybe understand exactly what i'm going through but have compassion has helped me i think is the biggest thing and then just you know having my hobbies of the, the shows i watch and the things i read and and whatever you know if i don't handle those things you know it's very easy to get lost in the oh wow i i don't have energy i'm this or that or whatever you know
0: chavis you've talked a lot about your work and how you got started and some of the challenges you face with technology ben hamill asks what's a non-programming hobby that you're into
3: well and actually my my illness is kind of brought non-programming to the forefront because when I was so sick that I couldn't work I also didn't have the headspace to even program for fun or do any of that stuff and so that kind of fell to the wayside and like I mentioned I'm really into watching things like Doctor Who and Star Wars and whatever um I like reading um learning about languages and religion and Things like that. Uh, I do write a little bit, not as much as I should. If you look at my blog, it's been well over a year since I've written anything, things like that.
0: You talked about in your intro wanting to learn more different languages. Do you find you have time to pursue those sorts of things on the side?
3: Uh, unfortunately, no. And this is where I, I kind of find myself getting frustrated and I, and I wish to deal with better because, you know, like to use the metaphor we've talked about, once I deal with all the things I have to do just to keep alive and healthy. And then my day job, I'm pretty much out of spoons. And so, you know, I've been meaning to, for the last couple of years to learn the Rust programming language. And I haven't had the spoons to have a project to do so. You know, I, I, I've Learned Erlang a little bit in the last year, but that's only because I had a work project and involved it, you know, and if it's not in work, I don't do it, which is really sad because I see all these things that really grab my attention and and challenge and interest me intellectually, but I don't have the energy to do anything about it, which is frustrating. (laughs) We have
2: a question from Jeg2 who asks, what's one thing you wish unknown strangers you encounter in public knew about you?
3: I think just that even though I have all of these other things that define my life. I'm just a regular person too. That I want to be in a relationship. I want a family. I I have the things I love and things that frustrate me. And you know, sometimes people meet me, they see just how tall I am, and or they learn about my kidney disease, and so they think only about my dialysis or whatever. And I'm remembering a TED talk, um, and I can't remember the name of the. The woman who gave it, but I'll I'll find it so we can put it in the show notes of a woman, a a disabled woman. uh, I think she was from Australia, actually, about uh, she doesn't want to be, quote unquote, inspiration porn, uh, where people are like just so inspired by her because of how she dealt with her disability. And sometimes it feels like that's all people see me as, is someone who deals with my disability when, yes, of course, that's the topic of our conversation today. But I'm more than just that. You know, in high school, actually, in my English literature class, we studied the story. I think it was the Red Badge of Courage. I think it was a story set in like the Civil War time or something like that. And kid went off, was supposed to go off to war, but he got scared and ran away from it. And he ended up giving, I don't remember the details, but he ended up giving himself an injury or or pretended to be hurt. So people would think he had courage and we were talking about how we interpret those things. And my teacher talked about me about how, frankly, like I think she put how inspiring I was because of the things that I deal with being a disabled person and so forth because of what people see visually with me. And I remember just being quite frustrated because it's like, I don't think I'm doing anything remarkable. I'm just living my life, you know. I I don't think I was quite aware of how different I was at the time or how different I had to things I had to do to cope with uh, my differences. It just was the way things were. And so even though I have all these other things that I want people to be aware of that I deal with underneath, I'm just the same as every one of you. I want love. I want fun. I want fulfillment. I have fears. I have joys, you know.
0: Travis, thank you for sharing so much about your experiences and your challenges and your aspirations. At the end of every show, we like to reflect on what we've talked about and sort of highlight if there's anything in particular that really stood out to us or calls to action for ourselves or for other people. So I'd like to move into the reflections now. Astrid, do you have any reflections on today's conversations?
2: Yes. The biggest thing that I got out of this was that it's important that when I'm working on something or building something, even if it's just a landing page, that I should be looking at people who are not only just different from me, but might be differently able than I am to see if there's any other way I can make it more useful.
0: I feel the same way. And I, I want to take it as a personal challenge to think, and everyone really should be doing this if you're building applications or websites or what have you. Think about people outside of the narrow parameters that you're assuming to be the default parameters, look outside those parameters and understand or think about how different people are going to use what you're producing, whether it's someone with disabilities or people of color or someone with um, a small or older device or limited bandwidth. I think that's something we, as professionals, should be thinking about all the time and unfortunately doesn't happen very often. I also need to think about a little bit more um, what we talked about with spoon theory and how that's been appropriated by the activist community. Um, that's something that, as I said, I myself have done, and I feel kind of differently about it now. So I really appreciate the perspective, Travis, that you provided on that. And I think we think a lot about cultural appropriation, but we don't think about appropriation of useful tools and techniques from other communities like the chronically ill or mentally ill populations and how that convenience of using those metaphors might actually be um, harmful or discouraging or offensive to other people. So really, thank you for that insight.
1: I've just been thinking more about empathy in general, and I've been struggling a lot personally with a very bad bout of depression and anxiety. And it's just so important to just be kind to yourself and have empathy for yourself as well as everybody around you and to be in communities where people understand you and can talk to you. I've found comfort in some of the slack communities that I'm a part of right now that are just, you know, aimed towards mental health and well being and we can just say what is on our mind and we're not being judged for it. And, you know, everyone's like, you know, you got this or, you know, what can I do? Or, you know, hugs if you want them, things like that. It really does make a difference.
3: I think a lot of what well, all of you said, but especially what Mandy was said about empathy is kind of where I'm at, too, is I think with my own limited spoons and ability to do things, I want to be able to gain empathy more and more with other people so that I can help other people have empathy as well. And so that's why I'm doing things like being a guest on this podcast and trying to be more open myself about the struggles I have and listening more to other people who are open about their own struggles. However, they may be different than me so that through that understanding and empathy, I can help them, whether it be in the way I develop software or whatever it may be. And that hopefully by me being more open, it can help others listen to other people that may need help as well.
1: That brings up the point that, you know, disability is different for everyone. It's not all visual. Sometimes you can look at a person and tell, but sometimes you can't. You don't know the struggle that other people are having. So it's just so important to just be kind and be nice to everyone.
3: Yeah, exactly. And like, for example, in my case, what you see when you see me physically is my, my size. And that's actually my disability that affects me the least day to day. And so, yeah, it's not visible what actually affects me.
0: Travis, it's been really wonderful talking to you today. And I really appreciate you taking the time to share your experiences and insights with us. So thank you very much, Travis. Thank you also Astrid and Mandy for being on the show today. I would like to say one more time, our preference as a podcast is to be listener supported. We hope you appreciate the effort that we put into each show and the guests that we have on our shows. And we're thankful to every listener who pledges their support. Um, we're currently at $825 of the $950 goal that we have for funding the show. So we're only $125 off. If you enjoy the content that we're producing, please go to patreon.com slash greater than code and show your support for us. Thank you, everyone. And we'll talk to you again next week.